this is the best program in college basketball. They are getting the best recruits in the country. And not only are they getting the best recruits in the country, like these guys are coming in and sharing the ball. Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this week, I'm excited to welcome back Ed Fang. Ed is a data scientist, the host of the podcast, The Football Analytics Show, and also the founder of ThePowerRank.com. This is a perfect time to bring Ed back on the show because it means an opportunity to explore his data-driven approach to March Madness including his top tips that have stood the test of time when it comes to bracket strategy and maximizing your odds of winning your pool. We also discuss how to find value betting the NFL Draft, and we look ahead to Bet Bash 2, which Ed and I will both be attending in Las Vegas the first weekend in April. One housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation, if you live in an area where wagering is legal and want to kill two birds with one stone, go ahead and sign up for a sportsbook via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page on Dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges and support this show along the way. You can find a link to that Props and Hops landing page in these show notes. And now, enjoy this week's conversation with Ed Fang. Ed Fang, welcome back to Props and Hops. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thrilled to have you back on the show. And Ed, I know that Selection Sunday, the countdown in single digits, nine days away as we record this the afternoon of Friday, March 4th. In fact, it's going to be less than one week away when people first hear this conversation. I feel like there's got to be a lot of anticipation for you. It's a fun time of year, but it can also get quite crazy in your neck of the woods. So how would you describe your disposition at this stage as we approach March Madness? I'm excited. Uh, probably more excited about this tournament than, than I have been in the past, probably just because I've been watching more college basketball uh, probably than in past years. So it's been exciting. Um, my disposition is actually pretty good. And the reason why is that I've uh, I've hired Edward Egros, a great uh, sports betting analyst, uh, to help me with a lot of things on my site. So he's uh, he's pretty terrific in doing a lot of stuff. But He's been helping me out with some things like uh, Seven Nuggets, which is part of my newsletter, which has been a really popular part of that. Uh, just some sports betting tips and uh, news and, and things like that. And then we are also doing a Bracket Wisdom series on my podcast, and he helps me out with that as well. And two years ago, yeah, it was pretty stressful just because I was trying to do all that by myself, but now he helps me with it. So um yeah, it was the right time to kind of bring someone else on board. So, no, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I think we're we're uh, we're recording on Friday. So, so bracket wisdom is every weekday starting next Monday until the uh, until the start of the tournament. We already have four recorded and and ready to go. So, nice. uh, a little bit ahead of the game there, which is great. And so, yeah, I'm feeling pretty good. You know, and and trying to you know just like I said, watch as much college basketball as I can. Um, and hopefully Juwan Howard doesn't slap anyone again. 
Fingers but crossed we can avoid a repeat of that scenario. I mean, you mentioned two years ago, not only doing this on your own, but doing a lot of work on your own for a tournament that didn't end up happening. So right. one thing I want to circle back on in a bit, thankfully, a return to normalcy more or less. But before we get too much further down that road, I'd love to zoom out for a second. I mean, this is round three for you on Props and Hops. You also joined for episodes 36 and 65, if anybody wants to check that out in the feed. A lot of people listening to this probably well aware of who you are, what you do, but for the unacquainted or anybody who could use a bit of a refresher, could you just give us a quick elevator pitch on your background in betting? Yeah, I mean, I consider myself the the data scientist that does calculations for you, so you don't have to dig into it yourself. Uh, biggest part of the business is football, NFL, and college football. I have models that have performed pretty well over the past couple years. Every offseason, I go back and I try to improve them as uh, as much as I can. So you don't have to, right? Um, I have a PhD. Uh, I've been doing quantitative analysis for what <clears throat> last 20 years of my life. And for the last 10, those have been on sports. So, um, and then, you know, I bet as well. Uh, I'm, I'm not the best better that you've had on this show, but, but I do do it and I do like it. Uh, but, but I'm, I'm really the data scientist that, that crunches numbers. Um, I've been really, really pleased with how my college basketball model is performing and, um, I uh, just just really looking forward to uh, the tournament and a lot of a lot of what I do for the tournament is bracket advice. So how you win your pool, which is a combination of analytics and strategy. Um, and so, um, yeah, it, that that's in a nutshell what I do. I appreciate that framework because in my last episode with Spanky, one of my big takeaways was he talked about finding people to either work with or piggyback off of their work when it can fill in any gaps in your own skill set, you know, strengths and yeah. weaknesses, kind of matching somebody else's strength with your own weaknesses. So when you mentioned being, you know, the PhD who crunches numbers so that we don't have to, I've firsthand benefited from that so much over the years, especially when it comes to brackets. So definitely look to dig in on that. But before the brackets are set, some of the final pieces come into place during this conference tournament week. Mm -hmm. Again, as we record this, some of the smaller conferences underway, but a lot of people will be hearing this before some of the bigger conferences have gotten going. And as we look ahead to the conference tournaments, before we even have the bracket set, any betting angles that you look to year over year when it comes to the conference tournaments? No, because I'm usually pretty busy getting ready for the for the big tournament. Um, but now that you say that, I was messing with some of my code that does calculations for the big tournament and it's not that difficult to apply them for some of the conference tournaments so might be um you know might be pretty interesting to apply that to the big 10 um where i, I live here in ann arbor so uh pretty invested in the conference and and michigan basketball in particular so it'll be interesting to see what happens in that league where i feel like purdue has been the best team all year but i kind of firmly believe illinois is the most talented team and they've started to show that a little bit recently. Um, so the numbers are going to favor Purdue, and, and they're probably the best team, but they're not the most talented team. Um, so, yeah, I might, might dabble with a little bit with that next week. And when it comes to looking at that framework, the best team versus the most talented team, is there anything that you might be able to take away from what you see there in the conference tournaments that could inform your ultimate approach once we get to the NCAA tournament? Yeah, for sure. I mean, Illinois has massive talent. They had massive talent last year. Uh, they won the Big Ten tournament somewhat easily, uh, and I was pretty high on them. And then, of course, they flopped <laughs> in a massive, big-time way. 
but you know it's 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 good to know the ceiling of these teams um it's good to consider the entire context of of what's going on um with uh you know another interesting team from last year was Baylor a team that had a COVID was phenomenal kind of pushing Gonzaga for a lot of the year and then had a COVID break and really looked terrible coming out of it looked terrible on defense looked like they lacked a lot of energy but they clearly got it together um by the by the by the end of the tournament so this is why I watch a lot of games I try to pick up on things like that um it's it's not an exact science by any means but uh but yeah happy to talk about that as it applies to uh the tournament this year yeah, digging in on that Baylor example in particular, I think last year when we had this conversation, we were already a few games into the tournament, so it was mm-hmm. a bit deeper than where we stand right now in 2022. But with Baylor, I think you had mentioned trying to figure out because the data said one mm-hmm. thing, but you know, was it just a lack of uh, you know an ability to play defense, or was it you know just right. physically not being able to do it because of maybe some players had COVID to a greater extent than other teams? So the numbers when they got out of their COVID break kind of suppressed the ceiling that we ultimately saw when they won the championship. So when we look at this year's tournament, again, this is our first normal one, quote unquote, in three years. Any fundamental changes considering that factor based on how you approached the tournament last year? I mean, there's not as there's not as many COVID examples this year. I think most of the teams have, have kind of been together and, and not had any long breaks I think you can always consider injuries and player absences and Baylor is another good example this year. Uh, they lost Jonathan Chalmo and everyone's trying to make a pretty big deal about it. Oh, you know, he's a, such this offensive rebounding force and um, Ken Palmer was on my show this week. And he's like, yeah, he doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, so that was his opinion on his things. And Baylor certainly looked good. Um, they've, they've had a pretty good stretch of games in the, in the big 12 over the last couple of weeks without him. And it gets a little bit more interesting because they also haven't had LJ Cryer, uh, a guard who is shooting something North of 40% from three point range, a very good player. And I always think it matters when you, when you lose a shooter like that, maybe not consistently on a day to day basis. Um, but this is a player that's still in a boot on the sidelines, so it doesn't look like he's coming back anytime soon, but something to keep an eye on, right? I mean, this is a team that certainly has gotten along without Cryer. And if you just put add another player to that team that can come off the bench and, you know, just kind of fill it up a little bit for, for short spurts at a time, I think that matters. And um, yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> I think Baylor's a really good team that you, you gotta keep an eye on. And and in particular, you gotta keep an eye on the injury situation. Something you snuck in there probably wasn't meant to be a humble brag, but I'll do some bragging for you. That Ken Pomeroy conversation was absolutely fantastic. So anybody catching this who hasn't already heard that, go check out the Football Analytics Show. And I'm guessing that Ken Palm interview will be the last episode prior to the Bracket Wisdom series that people will see in your feed. Can't recommend that highly enough. And on that note, let's dig into bracket strategy. I think outside of, you know, betting individual game spreads and totals, you know, so many more people are going to be doing brackets and tracking their pools over the course of the next few weeks. And just at a high level, before getting too specific on various factors, how would you describe your overall approach to bracket strategy? Boring. (laughs) So it it, it ends up being pretty boring. I mean, the kind of the number one tenant is, you know, use analytics. Uh, You know, you can just go to my, the public part of my site and pick the higher ranked team in every game. And, um, 
Yeah, your bracket looks pretty boring because the you know, the committee has gotten better at seating and the bracket essentially looks kind of boring. And I actually think of it uh, similar to Super Bowl props. So if you ever follow Rufus Peabody's uh, uh, Twitter feed during the Super Bowl, you know, he's talked about this before. He's like, I want the most boring Super Bowl possible. And I think it's similar for March Madness. Like, I kind of want a boring tournament. I mean, clearly upsets are going to happen, right? And that's fine. But as long as they mostly happen the first couple rounds and you're not taking down any of your champions, it, it it's fine. Um, so, um, you know, it's changed a lot since I first started doing this. Over a decade ago, there would often be 12 seeds that had a higher probability of winning than the five, 11 seeds with a higher probability than than a six doesn't really happen that much anymore i'm kind of keeping my eye on providence because i think they're going to be overseeded um because they have an absurd record in, in one score games so their record is makes them seem a lot better than than they actually are um but yeah so use analytics in your pool you know it's it's hard to predict upsets. Actually, that's something that's coming along in the Bracket Wisdom series that, that highly suggests that you come out and, and check out. It might make you very unhappy, um, but we did a little bit about how to predict upsets. Um, so, and then also like above and beyond the analytics, uh, you got to think about strategy, right? And so this is important uh, based on the size of your pool. I presume you want me to get into that now? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. So, I mean, so one of the basic ideas is you kind of have to look at pool size, right? And your strategy should be different based on the size of your pool. If your pool is too big, like just don't get into it at all. Right. I mean, your probability of winning a pool decreases exponentially with, with more people that are in it. So I don't really recommend getting into anything, a, a winner take all pool of more than a hundred people. And then, um, you know, for, for those smaller pools, like the really small ones, like 10, 10 or so people, you know, it's best to come up with your favorite strategy. So again, you can go to my site and pick the higher ranked team in every game and, and you're going to have Gonzaga as your champ this year. And that is your best chance for small pools and the intermediate pools. It gets, it's a little bit different and a little more interesting because you can actually increase your odds by kind of picking against what other people are doing. Um, and the, the idea here is like, you want to know who else is in your pool, right? So if you're in a pool in Spokane, Washington, you know, a lot of people are going to pick Gonzaga probably over half you want to fade them because even you know if you pick Gonzaga and they win everyone's getting those 32 points and um you know someone amongst those other people is going to get lucky and beat you in the earlier rounds you want to try to find another team that has a good win probability but that's getting overlooked in that pool so yeah that in a nutshell is the you know the the aerial view of, of how I approach pools when I first asked you the question about your strategy approach, you said it was boring. I will say that there's nothing boring about cashing tickets. And sometimes there yep. can be maybe an inverse correlation between how excited you feel to place a bet and how excited you feel once that bet has been graded. I know that I've been in some of those intermediate sized pools over the years. And I think there's been an uncanny amount of luck involved. I mean, Baylor winning last year got me the win when Gonzaga was the team that was probably going to do it in all likelihood, but just putting right. yourself in those positions. I think that your point about trying to find a champion that uh, I think last year, the way I worded it with you was finding a champion with better true odds of winning than your pool's mm -hmm. consensus will imply. And that exactly. can be yep. a little bit tricky. You don't know who everybody's going to pick until brackets are revealed when the tournament tips off, but 
we can start to do some things to anticipate what the consensus will be. I mean, Gonzaga, a clear number one right now. And I know like as pools are getting populated on ESPN leading up to tip off, we can kind of see just on a national level what the consensus looks like. And you touched on geography. I mean, based on where you are, or if you know that you're in a pool with people who all have the same alma mater, there can be some room to zig where others zag. And to that end, trying to keep in mind that it's so much fun seeing upsets happen in the early rounds as you touched on, but usually we're left with heavyweights once we work our way toward the end. When we think about champions, knowing that that has so much sway in winning or losing a pool, do you have any teams on your radar right now that you would anticipate being overrated or possibly underrated by people who will be filling out their brackets? Yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to tell at this point because we kind of don't know what's going to happen with the public. You can imagine the Gonzaga losing in, in the West coast conference championship uh, tournament and, and that would change things, but that's probably not going to happen. So, um, yeah, I like Gonzaga a lot. They're, they're not only the best team in the nation, but the best program in the nation. And that's really not supposed to happen. Small school in Spokane, Washington is not supposed to be a better program than Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina, and all those other blue buds. But that's really the position that, that we're in. Um, they not only have an immense amount of talent, but they are a good team, both on defense and offense. They share the ball a lot. Um. Yeah, so another team that that I'm pretty convinced is kind of playing over the level right now and is not really going to be a contender once we once we uh, at the end of the day once we get towards the final four is uh, a team I actually mentioned already uh, Purdue. I feel like this is a team that is kind of flying over their level. Jaden Ivey is is a great player, um, great wing slasher, uh, and they have been really good on offense, but you can't really stare at that team and really think they're the best offense in the nation, which, which they actually are. When you look at my adjusted efficiency, they've done really well shooting the three ball this year. We know that that tends to regress and I expect that to happen with them. They're actually a pretty poor defensive team. When I look at those numbers, even though they have a, a seven, four guy Zach Eady back there. Um, and I just, you know, beyond Ivy, I don't, I don't see a ton of, elite talent on that team as well. So they're probably they're, they'll be on the one or the two line somewhere, but it is probably a team that, I, that I'd be okay fading. Sounds like there's plenty of merit to the consensus of Gonzaga as the top dog right now. I yeah. like the note Purdue, a team to maybe consider fading, but is there a team, I guess, outside of Gonzaga that if you're trying to buck the consensus, you might want to play on more than others to give yourself a chance that should they break through, you could be sitting pretty, again, relative to the true probability of this team winning compared to the probability of a lot of people filling out their brackets, not picking them to go all the way. Yeah, I mean, we're going to have to see exactly what the numbers come out with, but I feel like there's Gonzaga and then there's a bunch of other teams that are in the mix. The Baylors of the world, Kentucky's, uh, maybe Auburn, maybe Duke in that. I think Baylor is probably going to fly under the radar a little bit. There is this general narrative that they can't possibly be as good as last year, which is probably true because they lost two NBA level guards and and another guard that was phenomenal. Um, I I don't think they can quite reach that level, but they're still a very, very, very good basketball team. Um, And this is not just me taking off what Ken said on my podcast. Like, you know, they're really good on both sides of the ball. And they kind of have the, you know, they might they might get overlooked 
So we'll see how it goes, but uh, that, that's definitely a team I would keep an eye on. Got it. So if anybody is going to contend with Gonzaga, that might be flying a bit under the radar. Kind of surprising. The defending champs might be right. that team in the Baylor Bears. But with Gonzaga, I think a big talking point that we don't need to dwell on, but uh, you, you can't totally avoid is that, oh, they haven't won a title yet and they have a good record every season, but the schedule they play is not that great. That gets talked about ad nauseum. Oh, yeah. I've got a different parallel I'd like to run by you here to see if there sure. might be any merit to it. Um, so if you'll just humor me for a moment. When I think of Gonzaga, I think a little bit crossing sports. I think a little bit of Moneyball. And could Gonzaga possibly be the Oakland A's or Tampa Bay Rays of college basketball in the sense that they're in a smaller market that comes with limited resources. And at a certain point, you might be forced to make a choice between optimizing your program for the regular season or the postseason. And when teams have to make that choice, I feel like they've got to pick the regular season every time, because if you don't make the postseason, then it doesn't matter how well suited you would have been had you gotten there. And in baseball, there are some fundamental differences with a lot of the off days in the postseason. Depth becomes less of a factor and star power and the starting rotation in the bullpen can really take over. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on this parallel. Maybe I'm way off base, but are there any fundamental differences in the tournament? not factoring Gonzaga's schedule, but anything fundamental about the way that the tournament is structured that might explain why the title has been so elusive for them over the years, despite so many elite teams. I, I think the title has been elusive because it's elusive for every team, right? Um, you know, John Calipari has one title. Great coach. Uh, Bill Self has one title, right? And, and Mark Few's program has kind of gotten to elite level over the last five, six years. Uh, they've really been in, in contention every year. You know, they made it all the way to the championship game against North Carolina. I thought North Carolina was the better team that year, and, you know, they were able to pull it out. Um, Gonzaga was the better team last year, uh, just didn't have a great game against Baylor. So, you know, they haven't won because it's hard to win. And that's that's just the truth. Um you know, in terms of the money ball, that could be true. What I have found is that it's very hard to find profiles on this Gonzaga basketball program. Uh, the last one I could find was a Bleacher Report one in 2012, maybe. And it's an entirely different program right now from, from where, I mean, it was a good program back then. But, you know, like I said before, like this is the best program in college basketball. They are getting the best recruits in the country. And not only are they getting the best recruits in the country, like these guys are coming in and sharing the ball. They're not demanding the ball and demanding shots. Chet Holmgren does not demand shots. Uh, uh, Jalen Suggs did not do that last year. And they, you know, it's a program. They just develop players. And, and I don't, I don't really know what it is. Maybe it's like an analytics thing. Maybe they're doing pretty good with uh, the international pipeline and they've certain got, certainly gotten a lot of talented international players. It kind of sucks that they're just not in a bigger market. So we don't have more information. There's no book out there about Mark few. Um, so I don't really know what we're doing, but I can tell you from the results that they're the best program in the nation. And, and it really shouldn't be that way. And if we take this money ball analogy one step further, I'm wondering if this year's Arizona Wildcats might almost be like the Boston Red Sox in the run we saw them go on in the mid-aughts where right. we do have a team that's not in the biggest market, but in a bigger market. 
And I mean, Arizona has, you know, their new head coach coming from Gonzaga, you know, be able to take a similar approach with more resources, you know, with the Red Sox going on that run, it almost became like money ball on steroids. Arizona doesn't necessarily fit the profile that a lot of people put together of trends going back years, if not decades about teams that end up cutting down the nets. But do you think that, you know, Arizona, a team we haven't talked about yet, Mm -hmm. um, do you think that they could possibly be one of those heavyweight contenders once we look at final four weekend and perhaps beyond. Yeah, absolutely. I really like this team. Uh, it They're interesting because they didn't crack the top 25 of the preseason AP poll. And that's usually a very strong predictor of how good your team is. And there, you know, there's multiple examples of, uh, of teams that weren't very good uh, that, that weren't outside the top 25 had a great regular season and then flamed out. When I look at this Arizona team, I my thought is like, how can you not possibly put this team just based on pure talent alone? Like, how can you not put this team in in the top twenty five? They're very big, they're very fast, and you know they've shown that on the court. And I think on the court, that's a lot of uh, of what Tommy Lloyd has been doing there. Um, but yeah, I definitely think they can make a run. I mean, the biggest knock on this team is that they don't have particularly good point guard play. They kind of have a, a shooting guard that kind of runs the point for them. Their turnover rate is kind of atrocious. It hasn't really seemed to matter. Their offensive efficiency is still pretty good. I, I don't know exactly what I have, Matt, but I'm pretty sure it's top 10. I'm pretty sure they're top 10 on defense when they have all that length. Um, if I remember right. I mean, they're if they're not the top team in two-point field goal defense adjusted for opponent that I look at, they're like second best. And, and a lot of that is the length. They have multiple shot blockers. So, yeah, I definitely think Arizona can make uh, a pretty deep run. And there's been a lot of talk about how a team west of the Mississippi hasn't won the championship since 1997. And maybe we'll see Gonzaga versus Arizona in the final. That That is not out of the question by any stretch. When you touch on how the other side of the bracket might match up with Gonzaga, should the Zags make the final, I'm reminded of a point that if people are going to go with Gonzaga again, this time last year, Gonzaga was also the odds-on favorite, looking to probably get contrarian on the other side of the bracket, going back to the strategy of trying to win a pool. Yep. Just because if everybody's picking Gonzaga and they go that far, to your point, everybody's getting the same number of points every time they win. So if we look at the other side of the bracket, obviously we don't have the luxury yet of knowing what that's going to look like. But if there are teams like Baylor and Arizona, anybody else you think that maybe hasn't been sitting in you know the top five or perhaps even the top ten all season – that you might look at as a heavyweight. I know last year you almost came through with Houston. You had them going a lot further than most. Houston right. almost made the title game. Do you see yep. anybody potentially, you know, suiting that side of the bracket this year? Yeah, we'll see. I mean, obviously, like we said, we can't really know. Um, when you look at that that group of teams that's behind Gonzaga, I think they're all pretty good. I think Purdue's the one that kind of sticks out with with the most flaws. I think, uh, you know, a team like Duke is a very interesting idea because, you know, numbers wise, they're not going to impress you, Um, but they have potentially five players that could be selected in the first round of the next NBA draft. And they're very, um, very athletic, very long, got a lot of wing players that are talented, got a big uh, seven foot footer in the middle to protect the rim. And unlike past Coach K teams, like this, this team actually is pretty decent on the defensive end of the court. So 
this team's almost seems robotic. Like there's no there, you know, when when Duke was really good in 2019 in the prohibitive favorite, they had a clear alpha in Zion Williamson, who was the leader of the team, was a distributor and block shots. I don't feel like they, they have that. And that that's kind of why, you know, the sum is not the sum is not greater than the parts, right? They are they are the they are just kind of the the sum of of a bunch of talented wing players. Uh, but we'll see. I mean, there's obviously going to be a lot of narratives with Coach K's last year. I'm interested to see how the public reacts to that. Um, the markets certainly like Duke. They have been uh, the markets have been a point, two points. Like they're getting the favorite treatment from Duke when you start handicapping these games. Maybe that's because the ACC sucks, but you know, I mean, there's there there are actually some pretty solid teams. Like you know, like for, for, I mean, Virginia's not going to make the tournament, but that's a pretty good basketball team, pretty good basketball program. Um, so yeah, Duke, Duke's another interesting team as well. Um, I think one that it's probably a good idea to, to watch a lot of their games. Uh, at least I'm going to be watching a lot of their games and see, see kind of where they're at. Cause the ceiling's pretty high for that team. It sounds so counterintuitive me to hear you say that Virginia, a pretty good team yet. They're not going to make the tournament when 68 teams get in. You almost feel like anybody with a pulse should make it, but that's the world we live in with, the guaranteed bids and a lot of mid-majors. So I think that's a sound point you made there. And before moving on from bracket strategy, want to quickly recap, I think two of the biggest things, one, knowing the size of your pool and using that to your advantage, the smaller the pool, the less need there is to pick upsets, even though the upsets can be really exciting. Those don't get rewarded in traditional scoring settings is the value of a win in each round doubles. Picking a champion becomes much more important And to that end, that second point of picking a champion, considering where everybody is in your pool, any ties they might have to certain schools, and looking to pick a champion with a true probability of winning that exceeds what the consensus of your pool will assign to that team's odds of winning. Uh, That can make all the difference. And one more thing I remember you saying last year that gave me, I think, some good thought as I filled out my brackets was, you know, an advanced metric like three-point defense being noisy. Reminds me of the late great David Malinsky would often, you know, tongue in cheek reference there being no such thing as free throw defense. Yes. Three point defense teams actually can control, especially when it comes to the quantity of shots that you allow. But when it comes to the quality of those results, there can be a lot of noise defensively. So I'm wondering as we look into the tournament this year, if you have any updated thoughts when it comes to your point of view on three point defense, as well as any possible candidates for regression come the tournament this year, teams that have either been, overly lucky or overly unlucky leading up to the tournament. Yeah. So three point defense is really, I I feel like last season was kind of about three point offense. I remember talking a lot about Baylor. I think they were shooting 44% from three and that couldn't continue. They clearly uh, won the NCAA tournament and I haven't gone back and checked how their shooting was, but that was a pretty good team outside of their shooting. Um, They had a lot of guards with, uh, with some, some pretty serious NBA level talents and and that helped them there. There are a lot of teams that have had extraordinary three-point defense. Uh, one of them is Kansas, a team that I really like. I like Oche Baje as, as one of the best players in the country and they are really great on offense, but their defense isn't good. And that's even with holding uh, teams to about 30% from the three-point line. The analysis suggests that that's unsustainable um you're you're gonna you're gonna tend to regress to the the college basketball average of uh of 34 percent heading into the future 
And there's actually a lot of teams that fall under that. I don't have the full list in front of me, but that's the one thing that makes me think that this could kind of be an upset laden kind of tournament because a, a lot of these teams tend to be, uh, they, they have gotten lucky and that's kind of pushing up their, their rating a little bit in terms of three point defense. So maybe that comes to bite them in the tournament. We'll see. I know you don't have the full list in front of you. It sounds like Kansas, one of those teams that could regress even further, even though their defensive numbers don't even look good right now. Any teams off the top of your head that might be due for some positive regression, maybe they're allowing well north of 34%, so we could see them uh, you know, get some good breaks come the tournament if things regress as they typically do. Yeah, I mean, one, one team that, that I'm keeping an eye on is Alabama. This is a team that loves to shoot a lot of threes, and they've been shooting really poorly, um, 31%, I believe, but that doesn't stop them from shooting. They're still taking 47% of their attempts from three, and – a lot of it comes down to their point guard, uh, Javon Quinterly. This is a pretty talented player that shot 43% from behind the arc last year. He's at 28% this year, which is terrible, except that's actually gotten a lot better than the 24% he was at about a couple weeks ago. So you're already starting to see regression there. Alabama's a pretty interesting team because they have a lot of athletes. They have a lot of shooters. Um, they don't particularly look good because they have double digit losses but uh part of that is because the sec has all of a sudden become a really strong basketball conference this year i have about six teams in my top 20 top 25 and uh so it's tough it's tough down there and you're seeing a lot of losses pile up i mean you're seeing losses pile up for even really good teams like kentucky uh and that's just the strength of the conference so um yeah Keep an eye on Alabama. They, they could be due for some, some positive regression. I feel like I'd be remiss not to mention that uh, while there's a lot of statistical analysis supporting regression, positive or negative for certain teams, anytime we're looking at a one-game sample or even possibly a six-game sample spanning the whole tournament for a team, it's not a guarantee that that regression is going to come. No, so yeah. I'm reminded of this past football season doing some work with Las Vegas, Chris. I think one of my biggest takeaways from getting to connect with him was like, yes, we can see directionally when it should be coming, but I don't want anybody to hear this and think this is me or you just guaranteeing that it is going to come. And we know when it's right. going to come. Certainly not the case. I mean, I think last year entering the sweet 16, you talked about liking, I believe it was Loyola Chicago over Oregon state because Oregon state's three point defense was right. just off the charts. Lucky. And it did eventually catch up with him, but uh, not until they got past Loyola. So we don't know when this is going to end. But the beauty of it is we don't have to know. There's no need for absolute certainty. If we're right in this 55% of the time when we're laying minus 110, then we're doing great. So just keeping that framework in mind, um, want everybody to still manage their money accordingly. And Ed, beyond three-point defense, I heard you touch on one-score games. I forget which team that was early on in this conversation. I never heard that in a basketball sense, but I'm intrigued by that metric. Wondering if there are any other metrics that you could also see for teams maybe due for some positive or negative regression beyond the uh, shooting percentages we see from behind the arc. Yeah, I mean, the one-score game thing is interesting. I mean, I haven't done the work, and I'm kind of assuming that, you know, a, a high record in, record in one-score games tends to regress to 500. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's true, but, um, you know, that, that will potentially help you, uh, for things, uh, you know, for teams like Providence and then, um, yeah, what, what else, what else leads to regression? Um, 
you know, there's potentially other things as well. So, uh, but nothing comes to mind right now. Got it. Well, maybe that's all the more reason for people to check out the Bracket Wisdom series, because as you record those final six or so episodes and dig into more data, have more results from the conference tournaments, perhaps that's going to come back into play. And of course, everything you're doing at the power rank, um, I think more of this is going to come to light as tip-off for the tournament draws closer. So Ed, as we wrap up talk on March Madness and all things Bracket Strategy, Zooming back out once again, would love to hear your take on maybe one or two things that most casual fans can do to improve their odds of success in their pools this year. We are talking uh, pretty far before the start of the tournament and brackets. So I would just suggest like, don't, don't get in that thousand person pool, right? Try to try to stay with like a small family type pool where there's only like 10 other people use my numbers. You're going to have a pretty good chance of winning. And the return is is going to be pretty good. So definitely, I'm you know note note the size of your pool, and um, you know I guess the other the other basic thing is is use analytics. You know, go to my site, use my college basketball team rankings, take margin of victory, and adjust for strength of schedule, and uh, that's going to help you out a lot. And once we're drawing near the end of the tournament, Ed, you and I will be at Bet Bash 2. We've got watch parties on tap for yeah. Final Four Saturday at Stadium Swim at Circa, and then the championship game in the VIP section of the Circa Sportsbook. So I know, again, we're far before the start of the tournament, let alone the Final Four and the championship game. But right now, if you had to guess, uh, what would you say? I know we don't have a bracket yet, so maybe it's unfair to say, tell me your final four. You might pick two or three teams that end up, you know, competing against each other on one side that could knock each other out. But I guess your four teams most likely to still be standing come final four weekends. Uh, and ultimately, I think it's safe to assume Gonzaga, your pick to cut down the nets. Yeah, for sure. I think I think I like Gonzaga to, to cut down the nets. Um, I like Arizona a lot as well. Yeah, you know, and if you're gonna pick, if you're gonna pick an upset team, and you want to kind of get yourself out, well, it kind of depends on what other people are picking. But um, you know, the talent, the talent that of that Duke team is is definitely very intriguing. So we'll see where they end up. I mean, they're they're kind of slated as a two seed now, so we'll see who's the one there. Um, but but I think that's an intriguing choice. Gonzaga, Arizona, Duke. Again, we don't know how the brackets are going to net out yet. But is there one more team that you think is is more likely? than the rest of the pack to still be standing come final four weekend. Yeah. I mean, I'll, pro- I'll probably stick with Baylor here. I, I think they're, they're pretty well coached. Um, I, I like the way they play. I like what Flagler, their guard has been doing. Um, I think they're a really interesting team too. Like <laughs> they, they have two guys that might be first round of NBA picks next year, but they're, possibly the fifth and sixth most important guys on that team. Uh, there, there are a couple of freshmen, uh, long athletic guys that are, are, you know, pretty, pretty good with their two point shooting, but are still kind of developing, but, uh, kind of have a high ceiling. So if those guys really, uh, have a good tournament, uh, that could be all the better for Baylor. I mean, they kind of, I, I don't think they've really shown it so far this season. Um, but, I, I guess there's a little bit. I, I think they're a good team, and and I think there's some ceiling there too for them to get even better if if those if those kids uh, show up. I think they're both freshmen. 
I like it. Well, part of asking this question, not just to put you on the spot for picks, again, some of these teams could end up, you know, in the same bracket, and it's mathematically impossible for them both to make the final four. But just to start laying the foundation for, you know, which teams might have the most upside to still be standing as we approach the end of the tournament, when the points for each win will do a lot more damage to the competition in your pools. So good luck at final four contenders in Gonzaga, Arizona, Duke, and Baylor. And looking a step or two down from those teams, I wonder if you have a thought on anybody, not necessarily to make the final four or perhaps even the elite eight, but somebody who, who might just sneak in, not be expected to win a game in the tournament, but a team that you think has what it takes to potentially go on a run, win, you know, one, two or three games, even if they're not still standing at the end, could maybe be this year's Cinderella story. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I kind of, you know, I, I've always been a big fan of St. Mary's. Uh, they are a little college out in uh, in California that plays in the West Coast Conference. And Randy Bennett has been a coach that has for years been cultivating a, a pipeline of players from Australia. And they're always ridiculously well coached. And you probably know them because they just beat Gonzaga last Saturday. Uh, actually beat them pretty good. They beat them by 10 points as, as a 10-point dog. So um, they had a year... Man, that was a long time ago. They had a year where they made the Sweet 16, kind of shocked everybody. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they did that again. They're a really tough team. They don't look particularly tough, but very well coached. Really, really good program. Um, you know, I'm also intrigued by San Francisco. This is another team that uh, is in the West Coast Conference, and they have a really analytics-minded coach. And they they have they have two little guards that gave Gonzaga fits. Um so I, I personally, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're, they're going to do well, but I'm kind of personally rooting for, for St. Mary's in, in San Francisco. I think those are very interesting programs and um, yeah, I think they could do well. Got it. Yeah. Well, every year we see things get shaken up and turned a little sideways the first couple of rounds. So if it's St. Mary's and San Francisco making some of that noise, that could be to the benefit of a lot of our brackets, I think. And before we wrap up sports altogether, I'll hop to a different sport because when we're at Circa in early April, it's not just going to be all eyes on the college basketball tournament. I think we'll also start to see much more of an NFL draft betting market. In fact, last year, Circa (laughs) was the sports book that really got the market in motion in the weeks leading up to the draft. So it'll be fun to be there when hopefully we can be part of that, you know, fairly early action. I know some numbers are up now, but I bet Circa is going to have so much more to offer than number one overall pick and first quarterback off the board. And Ed, I recall last summer when I had you on for the Bet Bash bonus series after the first Bet Bash in New Jersey, you mentioned that you enjoy betting the NFL draft. Any tips you could share with the audience that could help inform their betting process if they're looking for some action on this year's draft as well? Yeah, absolutely. So bet early. I mean, I mean, this applies for everything, but especially for the draft, just just bet early because I think a lot of bookmakers don't. They kind of need to put these up for business, but they're not. I know Chris Andrews hates it. Absolutely hates putting up anything related to the NFL draft because it's, it's the wrong kind of randomness for him. I personally like it because it makes me engage in football during this time of year. It makes me understand prospects and, and their ceilings and things like that. If you bet early, if you use just a really simple wisdom of crowds analytics tool, go, go to grinding the mocks, uh, Benjamin Robinson, uh, aggregates hundreds of these mock drafts and does some analysis of it. Uh, he's got Evan Neal as the top pick. 
I was a little bit, I should have bet it. I mean, it was plus money uh, when I looked at DK uh, maybe a couple weeks ago when, when, when grinding the mocks first came out. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I don't know about an offensive tackle being the first pick in the draft. But I think last time I looked, he's minus 130. So he's maybe gone from like plus 150 to minus 130 or something like that. So that's what's going to happen. Like bet early, use some analytics, just just pay attention because we all love betting on football and it's never too early to start. Um, yeah, do those two things and I think you'll do pretty well. Yeah, I think in addition to betting early to find the best of the number for a lot of people who might not know where to start if they're betting early, I like your recommendation uh, to look at you know an aggregate of mock drafts. And just start to follow certain guys. I'd say Daniel Jeremiah, probably at the top of my list of, of the mock drafters to follow year after year, tends to be really solid. But just starting to look, there are so many good Twitter follows out there and uh, doing a little bit of the work, just finding the right beat writers or national guys who are plugged in with certain teams, listening to a lot of podcasts in the space. Um, it can be you know consuming a lot of information to extract just a small number of bets. But come NFL draft season, a small number of bets can probably get you more mileage than that same number of bets in just about any market with the value we can find early in the process. And Ed, I also want to move on beyond just the sports talk, thinking about bet bash, a couple of quick questions for you there. Um, I know Spanky also went on your show, talked about the agenda of bet and his vision for the event. Is there a session that you'd say you're most excited to attend at bet bash too? Wait, are, are there sessions? <laughs> <laughs> There are. I, I'm there most are excited about showing sessions. up, talking to people like you, meeting new people. Um, I think that's a hilarious question, Matt, because like this is, I think, the first time in 13, 14 years that I haven't been bought in Boston for a live Sloan. And I don't, I don't remember the last time I went to a session at Sloan. So I usually go roam the halls, try to talk to people, and that served me pretty well. Um, there, there's like speed networking, right? That's is that a session? That's that's the one I knew you weren't gonna say based on your conversation with Spanky. <laughs> but yeah, that is that is the first one Saturday morning. So well, I'll be there, getting myself outside my comfort zone a bit. But yeah, that is one of the six. I will say, if I don't see you at the Legacy Club on Sunday night or at the Stardust Memories panel with Roxy Roxborough, among others, I think that's gonna be Sunday late morning, early afternoon. Um, you know, <laughs> sessions like that. I, I think a lot different, more catered toward the betters than Wait. us than some of the stuff it's flown over the years. Is is the Final Four watch party? Is that a session? Because that, that I'm excited about. Yeah, the only yes. problem stadium swim open bar. We'll take it. The only the only problem with that is like I actually really like to watch the basketball, so I don't want to be too inebriated at that point, and nor do I want to be yapping too much unless you want to talk about some serious basketball with me. You know, so. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll, definitely, I'll be at that session. I'll be at all the parties. I mean, that, cool. that, right. that's 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 where the good stuff happens. This is where you meet. Uh, who knows? I mean, who knows who you're going to meet there? I mean, what are there like 500 people coming? Something crazy like that? I think it's a little north of 300. They're looking 300? to increase the capacity potentially uh, in the future. But yeah, we're probably looking a little north of 300 this time around. Yeah. So, um yeah, I don't know. I'm looking forward to meeting Matt Metcalf in person. Matt Metcalf in person, uh, sports director at Circa. You know, people like that. Like, um, I'm sure it'll be pretty interesting to have some of these bookmakers talk. And oh yeah, there's that like bookmaker breakfast, right, or something like that. Yes. Yeah. But you go to conferences to meet people, and that it's hard to meet people when you're listening to someone else talk up on a stage. So 
uh, I'm, I'm more, I'm more excited about everything else going on. I, yeah. And I think the value there can be for people who might not be able to, you know, afford a ticket to the event or there's some cool seminars going on, but those are additional costs, whether or not you've right. already paid for the main ticket. And if that's just stretching somebody's budget too much, they're also going to be meetups, you know, betbash.co has it listed like each day where, you know, just informal meetups will be. And a lot of those outside of the morning and evening sanctioned bet bash events will be at public locations. So if somebody just wants to get some of that experience yep. to your point, meet some people, you know, you could do, you know, some of the most advantageous aspects of bet bash without spending a dime. So just throwing that out there for anybody on any budget to be able to maximize that experience. Can't wait to be there with you in Vegas in a few weeks. And before we wrap this up, yes, yes, it will be very fun. And one of the most fun components weaving in, uh, I guess, killing two birds with one stone, like I did with Spanky the other day, um, the Malinsky minute, a nod to the late, great David Malinsky. Um, I like to weave into these conversations and also the other pillar of this podcast, the hops. Dave was a master of many things beyond sports betting, including food and beer pairings. Uh, he just had such a knack for it. And I know in our mm -hmm. previous conversations, you've mentioned, you know, a trio of heavy hitters in the Midwest, as far as breweries go, three Floyds, toppling Goliath, homes in your backyard in Ann Arbor. Also, you talked about making some old fashions. I think that was a bit of a hobby that picked up during the pandemic's early days. So beer or otherwise, is there any food and drink pairing that you would like to make a part of your Vegas trip to Bet Bash 2? Yeah. So I was in Vegas last August and I would say that Momofuku, David Chang's Momofuku, I forget which what it is. It was phenomenal. It was better than the last time I was there. It, it was phenomenal so of course I'm, I'm i'm freaking getting on this podcast telling people to go make reservations at momofuku like the time i'm going to be in vegas i guess i should get <laughs> i guess i gotta go make my reservations before uh uh before this airs right yeah just count was, me in as part of your reservation so that we're covered and then uh, you've got a yeah. few days before the rest of the world's gonna jump in i i love david chang i think he's so creative he uh he had like a, a bonji like uh, uh, old fashioned, which was just like had all the goodness of an old fashioned, but kind of had like a little salty. I don't even know how to describe it. It was really delicious. And I went back and like, yeah, yeah we don't do that anymore because they're always thinking of new things. They're trying to do new, interesting things. And I would put like, yeah, I mean, Momofuku has been definitely one of the best meals that I've had over the last couple of years that and, um, a ridiculously awesome place in Mexico city that I had a chance to go to right before the pandemic started. And then a new place in Chicago that we locked in upon um, this past have, have been like three, just, just amazing meals, but uh, Momofuku is really good. And then uh, there's another place in Vegas that I really liked. It, it's like a, it's, it's a, it's a Korean Mexican fusion. I think it was in uh can't remember what it was. I'll, I'll get it to you. Maybe you put it in the show notes or something like that. That, that was also really, really solid. So those are those are two really good finds for, uh, for me when I was last out in Vegas. And you can always just go to Eater 38. That That's my guide. Anytime I travel anywhere, that's where I get almost every single one of these, these awesome places. Um, I did not like Spago last time I was out there. I know it's very famous. Wolfgang Puck's very famous. I did not think it was good. So I would I would avoid that. I think Oh no, no, wait, hold on, hold on. Oh, go no, ahead, go ahead. The old fashioned there was great. 
Like the okay, so more more for the cocktails than the food at Spago. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the food was disappointing. Okay, well, maybe a drink if nothing else. Yeah. Uh, but I, I like the point of, you know, not wanting to put anybody on blast, but sometimes, you know, with a finite amount of time, knowing what not to pursue can be just as valuable, if not more so, than knowing what to pursue. So right. kind of just a bit of addition by subtraction as far as optimizing the planning process. And yes, if you can uh, recall the name anytime in the next few days of the Korean-Mexican fusion spot, let me know and I'll drop it into these show notes. So if somebody's listening and they want to put that on their own lists, um, we'll try to make that available. And I'm with you on, uh, you know, you don't need to sell me any further on Momo Fuku. I had a chance to go to David Chang's, I believe, first West Coast restaurant, Major Domo in Los mm. Angeles a couple years ago. And I struggled to describe it to people afterward because I had never had a dinner like that. I, I don't mm. even recall specifically what we got, but it was flavors that were so good, but that I had just never encountered. It's almost like learning a new language to try to put it into words. So um, yeah, if you're going to make a Momofuku reservation, uh, then I think you'll be definitely barking up the right tree. So beyond the betting and the beers, even great food in Vegas, plenty to look forward to there. And of course, plenty to look forward to with March Madness just around the corner here. Ed, before we sign off, I want to make sure to plug your work so people know where they can find you and how to follow what you're up to on Twitter at The Power Rank. Two podcasts, The Football Analytics Show, and don't be fooled by the name, plenty of college basketball insight on that show as well, including that daily March Madness Bracket Wisdom series you're working on with Edward Egros, also a co-host of the Covering the Spread podcast. You've got your own website, thepowerrank.com, and one of the best parts about the Power Rank, the free email newsletter. I know you've got a free March Madness cheat sheet in store as well. So Ed, with all that, as if that's not enough bases that you're covering, is there anything I'm missing or anything else you'd like to add? Nope, you're not missing anything. I mean, I think the, the email newsletter is the best way to go. I mean, any email you get, you can just reply with a question. I'll, I'll answer. I mean, I get all those replies. So I would definitely start there. You can get there, get that at thepowerrank.com. Also, Matt, I just remembered uh, the place in uh, the place, the, the Mexican Korean fusion is Best Friend. It's in the Park MGM. Best Friend. Nice. Okay. Easy to remember and a pretty easy location to get to. Uh, fairly central for everybody near the strip as well. Cool. Uh, best friend added to the list of uh, many. We'll see how many we can cross off in a few short days in Vegas in early April. Ed, I want to thank you once again for your time and insight. And I cannot wait to see you once again in person at Bad Batch yeah. 2. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. Goodbye. Thanks again to Ed and thank you for listening. If you found any value in our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to take just a quick moment and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you'd be interested in another podcast to inform your conference tournament and March Madness betting approach, I'd highly recommend the Doggy Juice podcast by good friend of Props and Hops, Mike Roselli. Mike's near, if not at the top, of my power ratings on college basketball handicapping prowess among bettors I've come to know. And as fate would have it, Mike and I are both proud to be part of the Dimers Podcast Network. You can check out the full network at dimers.com podcasts to optimize your gambling content consumption. All right, that'll do it. I'll talk to you again next week. And until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well. Absolutely.